You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Don't you hate it when you get a song stuck in your head? I read the story at People Magazine over the weekend, and this song by British pop band 10CC, a song that went number one in Canada, number five in the United States in the 1970s. This song, their only hit, it has been stuck in my head, playing on a loop ever since. The things we do for love, like walking in the rain and the snow, and strangling your sister's boyfriend because your dad and your sister are in an incestuous relationship and they want to get married and they actually do get married after you help them kill your sister's boyfriend on Valentine's Day, after injecting him with meth and tricking him into letting you tie him up. Ooh, the things we do for love. It was the headline that caught my eye. Woman strangled sister's boyfriend after injecting him with meth and then her sister married their dad. This murder happened on Valentine's Day in West Virginia in 2019. The heartland. No coastal elites involved. And I somehow didn't hear about it at the time. I think it says something about the last few years worth of news cycles around here that a woman killing her sister's boyfriend because her dad wanted to marry her sister and her sister apparently wanted to marry her dad too. That somehow didn't break through. Speaking of things that are stuck in my head, Donald fucking Trump. Donald Trump is still stuck in my head. He's not exactly living rent-free in my head or yours. We are all paying for it. But with this impeachment trial coming up, with all of his lawyers quitting over the weekend, and with his Republican co-conspirators in Arizona and Pennsylvania and Georgia moving to make it easier for Republicans to steal elections in the future, after all three of those states went blue this year, (sighs) he is out of power. He's out of the White House, out of the Oval, but not out of the news. And his idiot supporters, whose base, they keep making news too. CNN reported today that many of the people who were arrested after storming the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, Trump's insurrectionist mob, the law and order crowd that killed one cop and injured more than 140 others, a lot of them, those assholes, didn't vote in November. Some of them didn't vote in states Trump only narrowly lost. So these violent fascist fucks storm into the U.S. Capitol to overturn the results of an election that they themselves didn't participate in? You know, it seems to me if you want to be like the Nazis, if you want to create an authoritarian state ruled by a megalomaniacal strongman who whips up his crowds at racist and xenophobic rallies, if you're following the Nazi playbook right down to the flag waving, First you win the election, then you cancel future elections. You don't lose the election by 8 million votes and then cancel the election you just lost. That's not how the Nazis did it. (sighs) With that said, I, I, I really don't want Trump and his asshole supporters continuing to crowd out news stories we would otherwise be talking about at the top of the Lovecast. Like this one from the CBC sent in by Savage Lovecast listener Sarah T., Headline, a dinosaur's butthole was the Swiss army knife of orifices. I learned a lot reading this story, some things I wanted to share. Turns out scientists have been examining the well-preserved butthole, which is a rare thing to be well-preserved on a dinosaur fossil. Turns out scientists have been examining the well-preserved butthole of a 130 million year old dinosaur fossil for the last few years. Here's something I didn't know that I learned reading this story. 
Dinosaurs may have mated by pressing their buttholes together and rubbing them back and forth. So, scissoring. Dinosaurs were lesbians? But what really set dinosaur buttholes apart from human buttholes, according to scientists and according to this story, they liked to flash them at each other. Their buttholes were highly visible, and so scientists theorized they were used for signaling during courtship. And reading that, I thought, is that really unique? Does that really set dinosaurs and their buttholes apart? Maybe I'm following too many porn stars and sex workers and gay dudes on Twitter, but highly visible assholes don't strike me as unique to dinosaurs. Not anymore. You could say we are right now living through a golden age of highly visible assholes. There are almost as many people showing off their assholes on the internet as there are people showing us that they are assholes on the news. And who knows? We may even be selecting for the highly visible assholes. Natural selection is always at work. And after a few million more years of human evolution, our assholes may have scales and be just as brightly colored as those dino assholes were. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, no ads, more guests. Comedian London Hughes joins us. She has a new Netflix special out called To Catch a Dick. You'll never guess what we wound up bonding over. We talk about her new show and her upcoming projects, and she sticks around to tackle some listener questions with me. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Rescues. I am a 26-year-old woman from Texas, and I have a sex success story. So this past weekend, I got high for the first time, and it was Probably the best experience ever, the guy that I was with, he explained to me everything, the process, how it made me feel, made sure I knew I was safe. And then after that, I had probably the best sex ever. Being high made me realize that I don't have to be afraid. Like it took away all of those anxieties. And I was able to ask him for exactly what I want. I was able to say, I want you to bite me. I want you to fuck me with my dildo. I want you to be rough and all these things and it was the best experience of my life and as much as I did not like the smoking part I'm totally okay with finding other ways to be high while having sex again because I don't think I've ever had such an amazing mind-blowing experience thank you for calling and yeah pot is a really good disinhibitor. Get high, ask for what you want a few times, and before you know it, you'll be asking for what you want without getting high. Oh, and the smoking part, totally optional. I'm not telling you or anyone else to break any laws, but if I lived in Texas, once road trips were possible again, I would be driving my ass to the nearest legal weed state to stock up on edibles at least twice a year. All right, we like to start the show with a success story every week. So if everything's going great for you right now, you can still get a call on the Lovecast. Just give us a buzz and share, and we might start next week's show with your success story. Hi, Dan. 30-year-old straight female calling from Scandinavia. Three years ago, I felt what felt, I met what felt like the love of my life. It felt like a dream that kept going uphill. And about one year ago, we bought an apartment together. Not long after, COVID came. And since then, it has been going the opposite direction as we both became more limited and restricted. Gradually, I felt like he closed off 
and showed less and less appreciation for me. In October, I found out that he hooked up with another girl, and during Christmas, he checked with another person again. When I found out, I broke up with him. A week passed, and he begged on his knees to get back together, and now we decided to keep on trying. Early in our relationship, we were both verbally open about the potential of opening up our relationship one day. But as I fell more deeply in love, that idea became much harder for me to digest. I recently asked him if he wants to be in a monogamous relationship, where he answered, yeah, for now, but I don't see myself being with only one person long term. Also, he says, like a typical fake feminist guy, that he doesn't want to have children until he's 40 to 45, which in extension means that it cannot happen with me. Only a year earlier, he was the one talking about creating a family one day together. He sends out a lot of conflicting messages, but I do believe that he loves me. He is adopted and has no contact with his family, struggles with an eating disorder, and carries many traumas. Indifferent from him, I come from a relatively safe and secure childhood. I love him, but I don't know how to get past this. Any advice on how to rebuild trust and get rid of the feeling of being betrayed and not fully appreciated? And how can I learn to cope with the idea of opening up our relationship? Does it mean that I have to love him less and myself more? So he says he loves you, but has been pretty bad at being monogamous. And long-term, he doesn't see himself in a sexually exclusive relationship. You say you love him, and the more you got to know him, the closer you felt to him, the more you loved him, the less appealing a non-monogamous relationship was to you. So here's what we know. He's bad at monogamy. He's willing to be monogamous to keep you in his life. But he's made it clear that long-term, this is not going to be a monogamous relationship. He's already proven to you on the two occasions that you know about that it's not going to be a monogamous relationship, that he is bad at monogamy. He's cheated on you. So if you extract now a monogamous commitment from him for the time being, he's probably going to disappoint you. He's probably going to cheat again. You're going to spend a lot of time policing his actions, worrying about who he's with and what crushes he has on who at what time and how great a threat they present to you and do you want to sign up for that? Is there a basic issue here of sexual and emotional incompatibility? The more you love someone, the less appealing an open relationship is to you. Love or no love, an open relationship is ultimately what he wants. Maybe you guys were just right for each other now. Maybe you were right for each other for a time. But if you're going to make this work, if you're going to be right for each other over the long term, something's got to give. Someone's got to pay the price of admission here. And I think his actions, the actions he's already undertook the two times that you know about that he's already cheated on you, I think they make it clear that you are the one who will pay the price of admission to be with him. And that's going to mean moving off your attachment to monogamy, decoupling love and sexual exclusivity, or putting up with infidelities and having to police him and worry and worry and worry. And, and that's exhausting. The amount of emotional energy it will require from you to police him around monogamy is going to be exhausting and will ultimately probably lead to the end of the relationship. In the end, that will become too high a price for you to pay. So if you don't imagine that you can decouple love and monogamy for and with this guy, you should probably end this relationship now. 
If he's already told you what he can and can't do, he's already told you what he will and won't do around monogamy and sexual exclusivity. Then there's the issue of kids. He wants to kick that can down the road and you don't. Biologically, he can kick that can far down the road. He can kick it decades down the road. Biologically, if you want to have your own biological children, that's not a can you can kick down the road for much longer. And that's a point of conflict. When and how to have kids is something that people need to get on the same page about, be on the same page about. It's a very important dimension to sexual compatibility, relationship compatibility, emotional compatibility. You want to be compatible on the kids' front. Monogamy and kids, two huge issues. It can be sad to end a relationship that would otherwise be good and loving and work were it not for a conflict over something. When the conflict is over something minor, when one person can pay the price of admission and not feel cheated, used, like they've let themselves down constantly in pain, traumatized over the long term, okay, maybe you can make it work. When the conflict is over something like monogamy, something like kids, you might not be able to make that work. That said, most people who are in open relationships were in monogamous relationships, often thought monogamy was what they wanted because they had never thought about non-monogamy. No one had ever modeled non-monogamy for them in a healthy way. No one had ever given them permission to even contemplate non-monogamy, an ethical non-monogamous relationship, not what you've been through over the last few months, an ethical non-monogamous relationship as an option. So you may be able to move toward non-monogamy and successfully decouple love and commitment from sexual exclusivity, as many other people have. You've sat with that for a while. If you've really thought about it, you don't think you're capable of it, then you need to end this relationship. Hi, Dan. So I've always really appreciated what you said about short-term relationships, um, that you find value in them, and you've always said that they can be successful even if they're not forever. And I've really taken this to heart because I've had a lifetime of short-term relationships while I have searched unsuccessfully for the one. So I met somebody during the pandemic and he's really nice, and he's got similar COVID safety ideas, so that's important to me. He's good company, and it's really honestly quite nice to have somebody in my life right now, but I'm just really not sure that this is going to be something long-term. We have different senses of humor, and I'm really not sure if we're going to have similar interests once we are in the real world and outside of the limited activities that we do in our houses. It's also worth mentioning that I'm in my mid-40s. I don't have kids. I never really had a strong desire, and I am struggling with his co-parenting schedule. He has very limited availability, which I understand because he's got to be there for his kids, but it does give me pause for the future. I think that once the pandemic is over, we both will be a lot less available. So I'm trying to figure out, basically, how do you decide when a short-term relationship should end? I would ultimately like to limit the number of people I date during the pandemic. And I honestly can't imagine starting over and trying to do the distance dates again and finding somebody similarly minded when it comes to COVID safety. I don't want to feel like I'm with him just to be with him and have somebody during the pandemic. As I said, he's really nice and I enjoy his company. Um, I'm just not sure that this has a lot of longevity, but I'm, don't know exactly how or when to decide when to end it and what are the different pandemic rules for this particular relationship. 
There are a lot of people out there in pandemic relationships, in relationships that are working for now, working under these particular circumstances, who, like you, caller, aren't sure that these relationships are going to work when we are through, when we're done with these particular circumstances. So I don't think you're obligated to end this relationship now because you're having a hard time seeing yourself with this guy five or 10 years from now. It may be that a year from now you're still seeing this guy and you can now picture being with him five to 10 years into the future. It has become for you an open-ended relationship. But if someone knows that the person that they're dating isn't someone that they want to be with long-term, that it's definitely for them going to be a short-term relationship. And they're aware that the person they're with is really hoping it's going to be a long-term relationship, is really investing in them emotionally. It can be unfair then to stay in the relationship. If you're the one who knows it's not going anywhere, it's not going to be more than a summer fling or 10 months or just for the pandemic, and you're watching that person fall ever deeper in love with you and make ever greater emotional investments in you. Yeah, it's unfair to let that go on. But if you just struggle because you feel a little ambiguous about it because you're not sure, then you can in good conscience stay in the relationship. If everyone ended a relationship the first time they felt ambiguous about it or not sure about it, no relationship would last longer than probably a weekend. So you're not a bad person if you have doubts and you stick around long enough to resolve those doubts. And it may be that the resolution is you needed to end the relationship or you're going to end the relationship six months or a year from now. Or as is often the case, it may resolve in the favor of the relationship, in the favor of him, in the favor of his kids. So I would urge you right now, considering the circumstances you're in and that he's in, that we're all in, to let this play out a little bit longer. See how you feel three months, six months from now about this relationship. And you may find yourself ending it then, and you hopefully we'll both look back on the relationship and consider it a successful short-term relationship. Or who knows, this could turn out to be one of those long-term relationships where one or both parties early on had doubts, felt ambiguous about the relationship, and you know what? That's every long-term relationship, every long-term relationship, one or both parties at some point had doubts, felt ambiguous, and stuck around. Hi, Dan. I am a 40-year-old female, uh, heterosexual. I've been with my husband for over 20 years. I've only had one sex partner before my husband when I, for about a year when I was 16, so I didn't know anything. Um, my whole sex life... Uh, I've never enjoyed sex. I've usually dreaded having it. Oftentimes, I felt like violated while having it. Anybody I ever mentioned this to, which is very few people, they asked if I'd been sexually abused as a child, and I hadn't, so I stopped asking people or talking about sex with people. And in the last few years, my husband and I have really started to fight about it, and one of his biggest Things that he would say to me is, I want you to desire me. And I'd just break down and cry because I didn't know how to do that. And I told him, I don't know what that is or how to do that. So as you can probably figure out, and I just realized in the last month or so, I'm completely asexual and I'm probably sex averse. And 
There's a huge relief which comes with that. I spent a lot of time reading sex books and books on desire, taking online courses about how to rekindle desire. And I just didn't have a fucking clue because I don't know. I don't speak that language. I just didn't know that. Um, so now I can stop feeling like I'm broken. When I told my husband that I was asexual and I made him look it up and stuff and he totally agrees and I was, there's nothing else that, that I can be that makes total sense to him. But now I don't know what to do. He, we're stuck. Like he's a total introvert. I talked to him about opening the relationship up so he can go have sex because he's totally missing out on, he doesn't even know what he's missing out on. He just doesn't. Like he has never had somebody passionately kiss him and, and be, be an equal giving partner in bed. He just doesn't even know what he's missing. And I just really want him to have that. But he is really scared to open the relationship up. He's an introvert and he's not very social. Like he doesn't drink or anything. So he really doesn't have opportunities to do that. And it's also scary for him. Also, I'm pretty sure that if he, we opened it up, he would probably leave me. <laughs> I would. So yeah, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Where do we go from here? This is great to know that this is what I am, but to know that he's going to spend the rest of his life without a basic human need fulfilled, and I'm going to be stuck feeling like I'm the only one who can give him that and really not wanting to be part of that, um, I don't know what to do. In some ways, your story reminds me of stories I've read about gay men in the 20s and 30s, gay men a, a century ago, who married women. They thought they were the only ones in the world. They didn't understand that there were other people out there like them. They couldn't conceive of their desire for other men as a sexual orientation. And they married women expecting that at some point, normal desire would kick in and they would want their wives the way they were supposed to and the way they entered their marriages expecting to. And they couldn't conceive of themselves as gay because they hadn't heard about homosexuality or gayness as a thing that existed in the world. They married women they couldn't love, didn't desire, and many of the women that they married were destroyed emotionally in these marriages by the constant rejection, by the unbridgeable distance between them. A lot of these women thought there was something wrong with them when there was something not wrong with their husbands, but there was something at the heart of their marriage that was a mistake. And of course, as more gay people came out uh, and people began to understand that gayness was a thing, fewer men entered into opposite sex marriages unaware of their option to come out and be gay and not do this to some poor unsuspecting woman. And it feels like we've been on a similar arc over the last 10, 15, 20 years about asexuality. A lot of people who are asexual, roughly 1% of the population, couldn't conceive of themselves as asexual, didn't understand asexuality because there was no information about it. There was no sort of mass cultural awareness of asexuality that might reach someone who felt about sex the way you felt about sex and help someone come to the awareness of their true bedrock sexual orientation and therefore would have prevented someone like you from entering into the marriage that you did in the same way that an awareness of homosexuality eventually prevented gay men from entering into marriages, you know, with opposite sex partners with wives. <sighs> so here you are, you've come into an awareness of your sexual orientation and you've come out now about being asexual. 
and come out to your husband about it after 20 plus years together. And so now what do you do? Well, you could open the marriage up and that's a risk. Your husband might form an attachment, could wind up leaving you. But your husband might decide to leave you anyway, so not opening the marriage doesn't necessarily prevent your husband from deciding at this stage to end it and go out and seek what you say he's never had, never experienced in his life, which is to be desired by a sex partner, to have sex with someone who wants to have sex with him. It sounds like you love your husband. It sounds like you, you must have a good connection if you're together after 20 years, 20 plus years, and the sex never worked. So there's a strong emotional bond there. And I hope you love him enough, and it sounds like you love him enough, to want him to have what you haven't been able to give him. Through no fault of your own, there was no malicious intent when you entered into this marriage. You weren't a sexually active gay man who knew he could come out and you married a woman because you wanted to be closeted and she was your disguise and you used and abused her. You're not like that. You entered into this marriage like those gay guys a hundred years ago who didn't understand what they were feeling and what it meant and didn't understand that they couldn't will themselves to want a woman or that being in a relationship with a woman wouldn't create a desire to sexually be with that woman and love that woman. But here you are. It's really an untenable situation and there's risks whatever way you move. If you open the relationship, your husband might form a sexual and emotional attachment with another woman and leave you for that woman. If you don't open the relationship, your husband might exit the relationship, end the relationship so that he could go out and find with another woman to be named later what he has never been able to have with you. This is why it's really important that sex education classes cover sexual orientation and not just some people are gay, but also some people are asexual. If that message had reached you earlier, maybe you and your f husband could have been great friends over the last couple of decades and change, but not partners. Or maybe you and your husband could have entered into a companionate marriage that was understood to be companionate at the start and you wouldn't have had to sexually service him in ways that probably sounds like traumatized you. And he would have been able to seek sexual fulfillment outside the relationship while getting emotional fulfillment, stability from you at home. But you're going to have to reverse engineer an agreement that makes it possible for you two to stay together. And there are always risks when you reverse engineer a relationship, the structure of a relationship. When you renegotiate its terms, there's always risks. And people are very attuned to those risks when it comes to renegotiating. What people are rarely attuned to are the risks of not renegotiating terms, are the risks of entropy and despair. And I think that those risks are greater, even if you can't perceive them. The conversation you're having with your husband, it feels risky. But not having that conversation is as risky or riskier. So have the conversation. What is it going to look like? How can he find a sex partner or partners outside the relationship where there is an emotional component perhaps, but that doesn't end your marriage. If that's not what either of you want to do, if you're great partners, if you're great friends, if you can have, if you take the sex away, a lovely, supportive, companionate marriage, if there's no desire to tear apart the home you have together, whatever else it might be, the, the, the things about your marriage beyond sex, besides sex that you value, how can you keep all that and allow him to have sexual and emotional connection he may want after all these years to have or need to have 
with someone else. Well, there are women out there married to asexual men. There are women out there married to men who aren't interested in sex. There are even some women out there who are still to this day married to closeted gay men who have never been desired in the same way your husband has never been desired. Your husband may be able to to find a woman who doesn't want to end the marriage that she's in any more than he wants to end the marriage he's in, but wants a sexual and emotional connection with another man, maybe for the first time to feel that kind of sexual and emotional connection, or maybe she has a good sexual and emotional connection with her husband, but she's poly and wants that kind of sexual and emotional connection with more than one person, but doesn't want her outside partners to be a primary partner because she has a primary partner. You two have a lot of options. I think the status quo, a status quo where you're expected to be sexual in ways that make you miserable, a status quo in which your husband is expected to go without never feeling desired by a sex partner ever in his life, untenable and unacceptable. And if you don't change things up, if you don't radically alter the terms of your relationship, how you define your marriage, if you don't do those things for fear your marriage will end, I promise you, your marriage is still going to end. Renegotiating those terms, redefining your marriage, creating a space in your marriage for your husband to seek sex with and an emotional connection with an outside partner, that's how you save your marriage. That's the only chance you have to save your marriage. Hey, Dan. I'm a gay cis man in my 30s, and I have a question about COVID and dating. I am single, and I've been looking to date somewhat seriously, but during the pandemic, like many people, I've been finding it pretty hard. One example that I think will illustrate my point is a guy who I found recently on a dating app. I think he's really cute and smart and emotionally intelligent, and I suggested recently we go on a date. But before long, he started mentioning behaviors that kind of concerned me. He regularly dines indoors at restaurants with friends, even though cases are pretty high where we are, and he mentioned going to a wedding over the summer. The wedding was outdoors and cases were low back then, but just to be safe, I asked what COVID precautions were taken, and he said there weren't really any, and I was kind of disappointed, to say the least. The thing is, it's not the first time I've met a guy who seems great in virtually every way, except for the fact that we have vastly different ideas about what constitutes responsible behavior during the pandemic. I feel ready for a serious relationship, but I regularly find myself turned off by guys who during normal times would seem like great prospects. When I bring up COVID precautions, many people seem to think of these as private decisions about personal limits, whereas I think of them more as a responsibility to the people around me. I take risks too, by the way, and I'm not at all perfect, and I've made plenty of mistakes like any human being, but there just seems to be a fundamental difference of opinion about what kinds of sacrifices we owe the world around us. So my question, Dan, is how do I handle these guys? I think it's easy on the one hand to say that I should just reject them and move on, but I'm not convinced it's that simple. I'm not talking about obnoxious guys here, but kind ones who respect my women, who say we can meet virtually or outside, but who I think are making disappointing choices in their own lives. I think a lot of people these days have been surprised by the choices that their friends and family are making, and even within married couples, you hear about people who disagree. But in my case, I'm not married to these guys. We're just dating. And I'm not sure whether these choices are a sign that we're not compatible or if they're just a temporary disagreement about a crazy situation that, well, I hope will never occur again in my lifetime. And as a gay guy, too, I should say, I'm wary of any purity test that would disqualify half of a dating pool that's tiny to begin with. 
but I know people who have lost family and friends to COVID. And even though this behavior may be legal, some of it, and millions of people are doing it, I just feel viscerally angry when I hear about it. Even if a vaccine is coming soon and I can finally be intimate with one of these guys, I'm just not sure I want to. So Dan, what do I do? I want to be reasonable and I want to find love and I want to get laid too, I should say, but I feel like COVID has made me really picky. So what you're saying is you want to find a guy to meet up with who hasn't met up with anyone else over the last nine months. You want to find a guy who'll take the risk of meeting up with you who hasn't taken any risks prior to meeting up with you during this pandemic, who hasn't met up with other people at a restaurant. Can you see the contradiction there? You want to meet up with a guy who hasn't met up with anybody else and a guy who has met up with anybody else is disqualified for meeting up with you. There are people throughout this pandemic who have behaved recklessly and selfishly. All of us, however, have taken, I think, certain calculated risks for human connection, for love, for intimacy. And it does weigh on the mind that unlike the calculated risks we've all taken around sexual activity when it comes to STIs, the calculated risks I took at the height of the HIV AIDS crisis when I was sexually active and people around me, including friends and lovers, were dying. Those risks were mine and my sex partners. They didn't sort of wash over onto everyone in my orbit. If I took a sexual risk on a Saturday night and had breakfast with my mom on Sunday morning, I wasn't putting my mom at risk. That's the insidious difference with this pandemic, with COVID-19. If you decide to go to a wedding and they're not practicing social distancing and people aren't wearing masks and it's indoors – you take that calculated risk because you love your friends who are selfish enough to invite you to that wedding in the first place. And then you go home to the people you live with or you exhale on someone passing them in an aisle in a grocery store. And suddenly the risk you took is the risk they're taking too. They didn't choose to take that risk. You didn't have their consent to impose that risk on them. I think that you need to vet these guys. I think you need to, when you hear that a guy has been to a wedding or hear that a guy has been to a restaurant, you can keep talking to him and you will get a sense as the conversation continues about whether the risks he's taken during the course of the pandemic have been reasonable and rare. And perhaps that's the standard we need to apply, that the risks someone decided to run was reasonable and it was rare. They weren't in restaurants three nights a week. They weren't traveling all the time to idiot friends' weddings where people weren't masking up or practicing social distancing. That over the course of the year, it's almost been a year of this, once or twice, they allowed themselves X. You may find as you speak to someone that they decided to go to the wedding. People weren't practicing social distancing. And when they got home, they quarantined themselves. They didn't see anybody when they got home. They protected the people that they love, maybe even the people they live with by staying the fuck away from them as much as possible after that wedding. Or you may find, as you draw them out, as you continue to converse with these guys that you're interested in, that they were just reckless and inconsiderate and selfish. You can certainly say to them, wow, it sounds a little crazy, risky. I wouldn't go to a wedding right now. And they may respond, I masked up there, I quarantined myself before I went and I quarantined myself when I got back. And then you'll feel better about continuing to speak with them. 
Or they may tell you that they think COVID is a hoax and they didn't wear a mask on an airplane and they think you're being irrational and you need to look at this QAnon YouTube channel and do your own research about the virus and not listen to that Anthony Fauci guy. Yeah, that's not someone that you're going to want to touch with your penis ever through a glory hole or in any other way. And you can move on from that person. So you say that you yourself have taken some risks during this pandemic. You haven't been perfect. You believe, I'm sure, yourself to be a decent person and a fallible person, a human person, and worthy of love. You should make the same assumption about the guys that you're interacting with. But you should keep those interactions, of course, online until you're sure that even as they took the occasional risk of the course of the pandemic like you did, those risks were reasonable, again, reasonable and rare. And if so, date them. If not, block them. Hi, Dan. I'm an early 30s woman living in a big city, and I have a question about dating etiquette. I've been going on first dates with guys. We'll go on a distance walk outside, and I know in about 10 minutes if I'm not into it, and I go on the rest of the date. But the question I have is, when is it appropriate to tell them? And I know you say it's never great to be broken up with. You just have to do it. And I'm not saying this is a breakup, but um, like my strategy is to go home and send them a text like later that day or the next day saying like, thanks, had a great time, like didn't feel a romantic connection, good luck. And that goes well. But my question is, I've had a couple guys like sort of meta analyze the date while we're on it and be like, this is going really well. I can't wait to do this again. And my response to that is sort of to say like, yeah, what a beautiful day or what a beautiful hike we're having. And is there a different way I ought to be responding? It's not honest what I'm saying, but it feels painfully awkward to me in the middle of a like one hour hike, 20 or 30 minutes in to say like, yeah, this is nice, but there's not going to be a second date. So do you have any advice about that timing? When you're an hour into the hike and you knew 10 minutes into the hike, that this wasn't someone you were interested in seeing again. And they tell you how great they think it's going and how much they're enjoying your company. You should just smile and nod and tell them that you're enjoying their company too. And hopefully you are. If their company was causing you pain, if the hike was hell, you probably would have bolted already. So there's some part of you that is enjoying whatever it is that you're doing with this person, even if you've decided that this is going to be the shortest of short-term relationships, that you're not going to see them again. And telling a little white lie in that instance, shining them on a little bit, it's really the, it's not you, it's me of white lies, those things that you say at the end of a relationship to protect somebody's feelings and ego as you exit the relationship. And sometimes before you can end a relationship, you're put in a position where you have to continue to say things that you may not mean or doubt you still mean. And I don't think that's something that we can hold against people. Sometimes people tell us what we need to hear in the moment, what it's kinder and more compassionate to tell us 
in the moment. If you were two hours into a hike and you had two hours to hike back out and they said they thought the date was going really well and you were honest and said, no, I don't think the date is going well. I actually don't care for you and I have no intention of seeing you again. Would you like a cliff bar? That would be a shitty and terrible thing to say in that moment. What you want to do is lie. Lie just a little bit. Don't tell them, oh, I can't wait to see you again. I hope we get married and have children. And 30 years later, we remember this date. and We hike back to this tree where you carved our names, even though we just met. That was weird. You just tell them, I'm enjoying myself too, which is hopefully true. So it's not entirely a lie. It's a little lie. And then the next day, you send the text clarifying that you enjoyed the hike, reaffirming you enjoyed the hike and letting them know that you didn't feel that spark and you're not interested in seeing them again, but you wish them well. So keep doing what you're doing and don't feel conflicted when the guy shifts into a meta analysis of how the date is going and you're put on the spot and you have to tell that little white lie. Joining me by phone just for the hell of it, just because I want her to, London Hughes, comedian, writer, and actor. She's got a new Netflix special, To Catch a Dick, and will soon begin production on Hot Mess, in which she will star. And she agreed today very generously to come on the show and take a couple of calls with me. Hey, London, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm really good. Congratulations on on the Netflix special. It's really great. Thank you so much. It's crazy. I'm, uh, I love it. I've watched it about 50 times now. I need to stop. I need to, <laughs> need to get out and stop watching myself. But um, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, I, I was really um, excited to see when I started watching it that we had something in common uh, Ooh, in that me. neither of us has a gag reflex. When did you don't you, have one either. No. When did you realize it? I, okay. I mean, I heard that that, okay. that was supposed to make you gag. And so when I first started sucking dick, I was like, okay, I'm going to gag. And then it didn't happen. And I thought, okay, everybody exaggerated and this isn't actually a thing. Yeah. But then I figured, yeah. I realized it was a superpower. I'm like an X-Man around blowjobs, but that's it. <laughs> You're an X-Man. I'm a Wonder Woman. We've got a special power. I found out really young. My dentist, told me and he made a joke about it he was like basically you know when there was a craze where everybody was brushing their tongue with the back of the toothbrush uh-huh. like and there was, there was like a bubbly bit on the toothbrush and they were like brush your tongue too and I brushed my tongue and the toothbrush got stuck and I couldn't hoop it back out so I was telling that to my dentist and he was like oh it seems that you don't have a gag reflex you'll appreciate that when you're older <gasps> and at the time I was like 12 13 oh my <laughs> God, that is not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. So yeah, I found out and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how I'd appreciate it when I was older until, like you said, stuck in my first dick. And I, the dick was so big that when I put it in my mouth, the guy whose dick, the, who the dick belonged to, he was shocked and kind of embarrassed that I swallowed it whole because apparently most girls can't do that. So I made him look real stupid and I made him feel really insecure about his manhood because for the first time in his life, he felt like he didn't have a big dick. He did. He just, it wasn't a matter. I mean, it was no challenge. Well, I hope he appreciated it. Like it's one thing to think, oh, my dick's so big, they all choke on it. But don't you want your dick to get swallowed once in a while too? Exactly. He was just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> What 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 is this? What, how can you do? Oh my god! So yeah, it was fun. So now they call me a seagull. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from London, and you recently yeah. moved to the states. You moved to Los Angeles 
in yeah. March. You basically joined us for the lockdown and the last. Yeah, I, I, yeah I moved here two weeks before lockdown, and I and I, no February. So yeah, two weeks before everything went to shit. And honestly, I feel so like. I did feel like I never got the American experience that I was sold. And like, I've moved to the home of the hot guys and I am single and I am now the most famous I've ever been in my life. And like, I haven't caught any dick. Like, it's just not fair. Like, I know people are dying and and there's a serious coronavirus going on. But guys, London Hughes is famous now and she can't have groupies. (laughs) It's just bad. You're on billboards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on billboards. I know. It's crazy. And my port, the poor Uber drivers, because I'm on two billboards in LA and I'm not used to that. Like, I've never been on a billboard before. I've never been on a billboard in the UK. So being on two, like, around LA has been fun. And every time I get in an Uber and I just, like, we go past it and I'm like, that's me. And they don't care. They, they pretend to care. The drivers pretend to care. I turn into, like, a Hollywood tour guide, like, on your right you will see my face. <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> so one of the points you make in the special is like famous male comedians get to date supermodels yeah. and famous female comedians get to date Uber drivers. Get to date Uber drivers. <laughs> like, like there's that, I mean, it, it, it's dark, that, that thing that um, Margaret Atwood said that women are afraid that men will kill them and men are afraid women will laugh at them. Yeah. Which makes it seem like a comedian would be the most terrifying girlfriend prospect of all for a dude. Yes. Yes. I feel like if I was a dude, I'd be like swimming in hot girls. But yeah, I kind of feel like it's harder for female comics to get hot guys. And I don't know why. Because like, I genuinely believe that women just find men funny. It doesn't matter what you look like. You could be the ugliest guy, but if you're funny or witty, you can get a hot girl. It does not work the other way around. It's so not fair. You never see, like, look at all your favorite female, female comics. Look at their boyfriends and husbands. They are not hotties. They're not hotties. But all the male comics, look at their girlfriends. I mean, look at their wives. Stunners. It's just weird. I don't understand. It's not fair. Well, one of the guys that uh, you, you slept with that you talk about in your special literally turns to you and says... I hope you're not going to make a joke about this. Yeah. You're not going to joke yeah. about me in a show. Like you're that important, sir. What? <laughs> you're really not. This is the thing. Guys are so intimidated by funny women. The amount of guys I've been with that are like, you're not going to put me in a joke, are you? Or uh-huh. this, this, this life story of mine that's so hilarious, you can't put that in your routine. I'm like, mate, I don't need your anecdotes for my comedy. <laughs> I'm okay. I am a woman. My life is crazy and hard enough as it is. I can poke fun of it all fine. It's all good. So yeah, it's frustrating. Is there a hot Uber driver out there? At least one maybe in LA? Like, is there some overlap between Uber driver and hottie? I sat with one Uber driver. So when I first got to LA, I hooked up with an Uber driver because he was nice. He was sweet, but he was he, he was broke, bless him. It was just, it wasn't going to work out. I went back to his place and his his wardrobe was in his kitchen, you know? So I just was like, we're not on the same level of life. Maybe when when I was starting out in comedy, it would have been fine. But now it just wouldn't make sense. We're, you're, I'm, not, I'm out of your tax bracket, babe. I'm so sorry. So yeah, <laughs> but he was nice. I like he was a lovely guy. But yeah, he was just he was just too broke. But I'm sure there's some rich Uber drivers out there that hey, if you're listening <laughs> and, you're, and you're into female comics, 
Give me a call. You've got to find the slumming one. What can you tell us about <laughs> Hot Mess? So Hot Mess is um, a movie from the makers of Girls Trip. It's crazy. So I was performing to catch a dick and uh, the producers from, of Girls Trip watched me perform and they saw my whole thing. And the one thing they thought of whilst I was on stage was Hot Mess. Like that's the title. <laughs> they say Hot Mess. And they were just like, we have this idea for a movie. The title's called Hot Mess. How do you feel about making a movie loosely based on your life? And I was like, thanks. Is that supposed to be a compliment? And uh, they we just came up with some ideas and brainstormed some ideas and then we sold the movie uh, to Universal. And it's great. It's literally about a, a, a girl from London who's a black female British person. I wonder who that could be. And uh, she... Uh, <laughs> She, her life is a hot mess. Like she's, she's fun, she's crazy, but she's just sleeping with every guy, living her best life, but not serious about anything. And she goes to New York to try and make her life better and catch the New York dick. And crazy escapades happen. And uh, yeah, she, she, yeah, it's a fun character to play. It's basically me. It's basically me. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Okay, can we can we throw a couple of uh, listener questions at you and see if you of have course. some sex advice in there yeah. based on your all I've your got experience? Loads of sex advice. They might not like it. Your listeners might not like what I have to say. Hi, Dan. Twenty six year old female here from Sydney, Australia. I keep running into this problem on dating apps where like eighty percent of the dudes I speak to try and violate super simple boundaries that I have. They think a great first date idea is inviting themselves over or inviting me over to their place, not in public, which makes me block them straight away because I think they're idiots and that's not okay. And the other problem I have is that they ask for my number before we meet in person, which is not something I'm comfortable sharing and it's something I want to give out once I've met them in person and... I've kind of like sussed them out a bit more. And when I explain that to them, they'll say some version of like, oh, but like, why don't you trust me? Which is so frustrating. Like you're an internet stranger. I have no reason to. Anyway, is there something I can put on my profile to weed this out a little bit more? Or do I just need to keep being heavy handed with that good old block button? Do you do any internet dating? Are you any of the apps ever? Oh my God. I was on Bumble for two hours and then I had to delete it. I just couldn't. I literally couldn't. I wish I could. I wish I was that girl that could do dating apps, but I just find, I just find it the whole thing tedious and beneath me in every way. <laughs> I literally can't. I wish I could. So, so when you want to catch a dick, where do you go? Where are they throwing them? Well, here's the thing. When I wanted to catch a dick before, I would go to a nice restaurant, bar. Like, bar restaurants are the best place to catch dicks. Now, because of COVID, I literally am dickless. I'm, di- I'm dickless. And it hasn't made you reconsider online dating as a possibility? I did. But I did. So in a, in a moment of weakness, I downloaded Bumble for two hours. I went on Bumble, filled out the stuff, saw what was out there, said, stop for me, and deleted it. Like, it was just that simple. I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> it is how most people meet now. The plurality of all opposite sex relationships started on a dating app. The vast, yeah. overwhelming majority of same sex relationships. And soon it'll be the majority of opposite sex relationships too. It's all date naps now. No, but I think that's quite sad. 
you know, the energy for meeting someone in real life, having a meet cute, dusting them out. I think dating apps, they make guys seem like they're a lot better than what they are because you can come across as witty and charming and fun over text, you know, but then when you meet them in real life, they have none of those qualities and you've wasted your time talking to this guy for a month and who you think looks like he's 28, 29. Reality, that's a seven-year-old photo and he has no charm, no banner. You meet up in real life, you've just wasted a month of your life talking to a loser. And I think that is what happens with dating apps and I can't, I can't do it. That's why people like me advise people who get on dating apps not to keep chatting for a month, not to draw it no, out no. endlessly. If you establish interest after a few uh, text message exchanges, meet right away. Meet in person in a public place right okay. away. Don't yeah. draw it out. No, no, no. Because then people, you make a huge emotional investment in someone you meet in person and their pictures are old or you just like chemically don't click. You don't like the taste of their spit. They're not witty in person. (laughs) That's why. So I feel like the the girl that just called in, she's not going to like my advice because I genuinely think that she's she's not ready for, for online dating, if that's the case. She's being way too rigid. She needs to be giving out her number doesn't matter if you just met him on the internet. Give him your number. What's the, if, if at the end of it, he's a weirdo, you can block him from your phone. It's not a big deal. Give him your number. Meet him. Go to his house. There's so many de- guys that I've met on dating apps, and I've gone straight to their house. And I, I mean, maybe in hindsight, I shouldn't have. But it's the best way to get to know someone, especially in, um, in social distancing. You can't go anywhere. You can't go to restaurants. So go to his garden. And have a socially distanced drink. And then if you don't like him, leave. Like, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. I just feel like she's being way too judgy. And I don't think she's ready for dating apps if that's her attitude towards them. Wait, wait, you just said that you've only been on dating apps briefly and only on Bumble briefly. But now you made it sound like you've been on dating apps a lot and have some experience. Well, this is, I'm talking about as now. The old me was on, I did like Hinge and I did Bumble before before the Netflix special. This is back when I could be considered a civilian person. Ah, now that I see. considered a semi-famous, nearly famous on their way to fame. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't do it. But yeah, back when I was like, just broke up with my ex about five years ago, I think I was on, I was on um, Bumble. And yeah, I met guys in real life straight away. Like mm-hmm. literally the next day or that same week we'd go on dates and stuff. So I think she should let her guard down a little bit. Okay, the caller wants to know how she can weed these guys out in advance. And and you could put on your profile, don't ask me for my phone number before we've met and don't invite me to your place. (laughs) And guys being guys are going to not read your profile, not read that, ask for your phone number, invite you over. And if those are real hard limits for you, well, then they've weeded themselves out and just block them and move on to the guy who doesn't ask you the question that you don't want to be why asked. Why does? I Why is she she blocking them because they want to see speak to her? Like it's. I find that you don't need to block them. Just be like, just be a little bit more open to it. Because for all you know, you're blocking your blessings. There could be a guy that's seen your pictures, seen your vibe, seen the questions you've answered on on the dating app, and gone. You know what? I I like the the sound of this girl, but he's the type of guy that's like all or nothing. And, you know, I'm like that. I'm very much, I'm a Gemini. I'm typical, like, all or nothing. So maybe he's like, I just want to get to know her. But then she comes across as like, no, you cannot 
get to know me at all. I'm not meeting you at your house. Don't ask me for my number. I'd be like, oh, you're not fun. Or maybe she's you doing know? that thing that some women do do. Don't mean to gender this kind of <laughs> stuff. But, but, but it seems to be more women have this desire to be with a guy who can read her mind. A guy who would just know not to ask for her phone number before they've met. Yeah. A guy that who would just know that she would be uncomfortable being invited over to his place right away. Yeah. And I think if, you know, somebody asks you for something on the internet that you feel like it's not a the question you wanted to be asked or not asked yet, say that. If they keep asking, well, then they've identified themselves as yeah, someone who exactly. doesn't listen and an asshole, then block them. But just because you can't read your mind out of the gate? Exactly. I think she should... Just be open to it. Chat to them. If if you chat to them, you're like, hi. And he's like, hi, what's your number? Then obviously, weirdo. But if you're having a good conversation and maybe you've spoken for a couple of days and it's been flowing and he asks you for your number, that's not a bad thing. Even though you haven't met and he wants your number, that is not a bad thing. We live in a world where we can get literal Ubers, cars like this. We can get food like this. We can get dick delivered to our door. You are living, we are living in the times where everything is now, now, now. And you, you gotta, you got to keep up with it, babe. So I genuinely think she should just be a little bit more open to, to guys getting her number from dating apps. Definitely. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a straight woman in my 30s and I am a bit worried about myself right now. Um, so my boyfriend and I broke up a few months ago. And I've just had my first one night stand since then, uh, last night. And I met this guy on Tinder and it was super great. Like I was very excited to meet him and he was GGG, sex was good. He was very nice, everything really great. But then I couldn't wait to have my room to myself again. And because he came from a bit further away, he had to stay overnight and he kind of didn't want to leave the next day as soon as I wanted him to leave. I don't know if he actually wanted to stay three days and just wasn't, I just couldn't do that. I just really needed my space back. And yeah, I've noticed now that I look back that I often actually prefer to, you know, have sex and then maybe cuddle for an hour and then go home and be on my own. And even when I have a boyfriend, I like to spend a whole lot of time on my own. Am I just an introvert and this is completely okay? Or is there something wrong with me that I can't like open up to men emotionally? I don't know. I know from watching your special that uh, after a one night stand, <laughs> you'd want a guy to leave for a reason. Yes. I am too much of a gentleman to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are kindred spirits. She is, there's nothing, honey, if you're listening, there is nothing wrong with you, queen. That is literally how a lot of women feel. We don't need you there afterwards. You've done, you've done what you've done. Leave. You don't pay rent. Go home. Like, it's totally fine. I have been in many a situation where I fucking duck. That is just normal. Um, especially when you're a boss bitch and you're an independent woman. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need, it's nice to have a man, but you don't need one. And it sounds like she doesn't need a guy's company around her all the time. She just would like to have it from time to time. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Is this another case where she thought he should be able to read her mind? She wanted him yes. gone and he assumed she didn't mind to be stuck yes. around and she didn't tell him to go? Yes, she needed to have told him to leave. And she, I, I guess she was being too polite. But I would have been like, leave. I would have been like, you need to go home. So 
Maybe there's, next time. Because there's something very yeah. important you need to do after a one-night stand that you need the yeah. guy to be gone for. You need to leave because, first of all, I need to fart. That's really important. <laughs> like, this is the thing. Guys come to your house and they stay over and you're like, I haven't farted in 12 hours and I need <laughs> to. So you need to leave. That's the main reason you have to go. So I can expel gas. So they need to leave. So that's the main reason. And then all the stuff like I like my space. I don't want you here. I, I barely know you enough for you to be moving in like this. You don't pay rent. All these things come through my mind. So you need to leave. How like, long do you have to be dating someone before you fart in front of him? Oh, so I, I, mean, I, I didn't fart in front of my ex until like, yeah, it's bad. Because I was holding that stuff in for like months. You're not supposed to. I'm sure there's girls that fart a lot sooner, but... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the British in me. Like, I've been like, I'm a lady. I'll fuck you <laughs> like a trooper, but I won't fart in front of you. I'm a lady. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I would rather us girls get out right at the beginning, but I haven't been able to do that yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there I mean, it's, an, it's an important milestone in a relationship that when you it start really farting is. in front of each other. Yeah, because guys will just literally lift up their leg and be like, Pah. And it's like, ugh. even I think that when a guy does it, I'm like, oh, you nasty pig. So for me, when I, if I do it, I feel like he's going to be thinking that too. So I don't know whether I, I'm not ready for a guy to see me in that light until maybe we've, we've been together a couple months. So yeah, most of the time you need to leave after one night stand because I, because I need to go. My feeling <laughs> is with a guy, uh, at least let me have eaten your ass like a dozen times before I have to listen to your ass that first time. Cause I want to have an association that's about eating, not listening. That's stronger like than tuning. Like I know that ass I've eaten it. Right. And so I don't mind hearing it toot because I've been there. How soon do you eat off? Do you eat ass on like a one night stand? Uh, in gay land? Yeah. Well, you know, it depends. Most like gay male first encounters, somebody will say to somebody, what are you into? Because you can't just default to vaginal intercourse. Right, 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 right. And, right. and even if yeah. like a gay guy, the like, anal is always on the menu for them. Like who's going to fuck who has to be talked about. That's who's the bottom. Yeah. The, or whether there's going to be I, anal at all. So often like in, in gay sex, if if there's going to be anal, there's almost always ass eating as, as really? anal foreplay. But there's not always anal. And when there's not always anal, there's not always rimming. But if someone, if, if someone... Is gonna put its dick in your ass. You're you expect him to also eat your ass. Yes. And if he just put his dick in your ass without eating it, would you find that disrespectful? I would find that very rude. Ah, see, that's just like sucking dick and go and going like I I that's eating ass is like eating pussy then because for me, if we're fucking, you're eating my pussy because otherwise, it's very rude. Yeah. And you know, a, a butt isn't a vagina. It takes a little bit for a butt to like relax and open. And yeah. like the best foreplay f for anal, if you don't want it to hurt or you don't want to injure somebody, is ah. you know, a good 10, 15, 20 minutes of rimming. Of oh, rimming? Yeah. I didn't know that. I've never done anal. I have had, had a guy put a finger up there. I was like, oh, oh, wrong hole. Wrong hole, babe. <laughs> Uh, but that's about it. I am here from Gayland to tell you that a dick feels better than a finger. Really? Even though a dick is bigger, there's something about like the narrowness of the finger, the boniness of the finger. Like a yeah, dick has a little more give than a finger. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't you need a lot of work up? Like a lot of like 
Oh, exercises and you can't eat certain foods and you've got a am I right? You need to put you can't just have or do you need to prepare for that? Like, I feel like I need to prepare for it. Some people need to prepare for it. Other people, like if you have a good diet, you, you eat a lot of fruit and vegetable, you get a lot of fiber, you drink a lot of water, you don't live on Big Macs and Taco Bell and Diet Coke. And you can have a really good sense of when you're empty, when you're good to go. And you don't have to douche necessarily. Um, yeah, there there are tricks to the trade. Okay. You know, you don't well, want to have, I always say you don't want to have anal sex with uh, an ass full of shit for the same reason you don't want to have oral sex with a mouthful of food. It's uncomfortable. It makes a mess. <laughs> it's easier to know when your mouth doesn't have, isn't packed with food. Oh you my God. really have to be in touch with your body to know when your lower GI is packed with shit. Oh my god, I love it. Okay, cool. Well, it, when I, when and if I ever do anal, I'll think of you. <laughs> well, hope, hopefully before and maybe a little bit after, but not during. Yeah. I hope you're thinking about him during. No, no I'm just going to think of you, hon. I'm just going to think of you the whole time. <laughs> Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old married heterosexual female uh, from Washington State. And last year, in 2020, I experienced uh, my first ever laughing orgasm. Um, I had never had this before. It's only happened twice. The first time it happened, it was really rough sex, um, lasting more than an hour. I was using a vibrator. My partner was inside me and also playing with my ass as well. When I came, I immediately started cackling, like laughing hysterically laughing as hard as I could it felt like the best way to describe it is like eating a psychedelic like acid except not having the hallucinations just this like extreme body euphoria my face was numb everything was just hysterical I couldn't stop laughing tears running down my face Um, and it lasted about 15 minutes at one point my partner was even like, are you okay? And and of course, that made me laugh even harder. And I tried to do some research online, and I couldn't find anything. It's really kind of these like random blogs of people that said like, oh, yeah, I've had that. My question is, is, is this a thing? I mean, obviously, it's a thing. I experience it. But do you have any information about laughing orgasms? Well, sounds like it's a thing with the caller. I mean, I this is the first time I'm hearing about this. And I want it so badly for myself. I've never been more jealous. What the hell? A laughing ga- laugh gathered. What? That's what? I clearly have more sexual exploration. Is that a word? Explorientation? I need to It's explore. a word now. We invent words on this show yeah, all the time. I need more sexual explorientation because I have never heard of this. And I'm super impressed that she managed to do it twice. Well, as a comedian, you know that like to, to, to get a laugh, you have to sort of build some tension with the <laughs> audience. Nothing builds yeah. more physical tension than rough sex. And, I'm, and, and, you know, a laugh is a release and she has rough sex. She gets to orgasm. Orgasm usually signals the end of the sex. And then she has this laughter release. It makes sort of intuitive sense, even though I haven't heard of it that often. She said, and that it's always with rough sex, I think, is the tell. What got to me is how long it lasted. Because one thing happened like a minute of, ha, 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 but she said 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of it. So for me, I'm like, whose orgasm lasts that long where her body cannot stop laughing 
her body's still convulsing and going through the, the motions for 15 minutes. I think she's unlocked the key to the best sex ever. It's like, you know, when you're trying to complete a game and there's a hidden level and she's like beat the boss at that level and now she gets 15 minutes of laughing orgasms. I want it. I want it so badly. <laughs> well, she should obviously start <laughs> teaching classes and create a, an online tutorial. Then she needs to, my advice to her would be to, to, to really, really explore it. Like do it again and again. I'm sure, I'm sure your partner will not mind. Do it again and again and again to see what the combination is. Like make, to, to see if that is it every time. Because that's, because that's the only way she can like perfect it. And then she'll know that like, if he puts it in her ass and does this, that equals laughter. But if he doesn't put it in her ass, then it's maybe a different kind of orgasm. Do you know what I mean? Like find out actually, Babe, what I'm saying is, do your research. Do your research. We're in lockdown, ain't got nothing else to do. Research it. <laughs> London Hughes, comedian, writer, actor. Check out her really hilarious new special on Netflix to catch a dick and watch for Hot Mess coming out, uh, hopefully, to movie theaters when they reopen. Uh, when they open, Lord have mercy. Thank soon. you so much for having me. Uh, it's so great to have you, and uh, welcome to Los Angeles, and I'm sorry you arrived uh, at such a terrible <laughs> time. We had a terrible president when you got here. We had a terrible pandemic when you got here. And now, and I'm going to do anal for the first time, so I can't wait to live out my American wet dream. Please Thank you. think of me while you're doing anal. <laughs> I will. Hi, Dan. So, basically, I am in my mid-30s, and I wanted to try hooking up with someone a little bit younger. So I ended up meeting this 25-year-old guy online and we met up in a park. We wore masks. We were both really careful. And we read in the New York State harm reduction strategies for having sex during COVID to wear masks during sex, which we did. And he was very worried about it and wanted to wear masks, did not want to take them off at all, didn't want to kiss. He even he was like really nervous about germs. He even shamed me for having reusable straws because he said they could collect germs inside of them. So he was really germophobic, but then he tried to have sex with me without a condom. Like what? We're all of us a mass of contradictions. And this guy perhaps is a, a, a mess of contradictions. And you know that now he's afraid of COVID-19 and he's afraid of cooties, which I think is the only risk you're running with reusable straws if you don't put them through the dishwasher is cooties. But he's not afraid of the super gonorrhea that is starting to spread. And I think after the pandemic is over is really going to be our next big problem in the dating and romance and sex field. There is a drug-resistant strain of gonorrhea that is scary and out there and spreading. And this guy, who's afraid of COVID and afraid of reusable straws, isn't afraid of raw-dogging someone that he just met, masked up in a socially distanced first date in a public place outdoors. I hope you had sex outdoors, too, on that first date, that you didn't up your risk factors by taking it indoors or into a car. Hope you fucked out there in the woods on your first date hike. But yeah, this guy is nuts. He's not someone that you can trust with your body, not someone who's invested in your health and safety or his own. And he revealed that to you when you started to have sex. Maybe if you'd gone on a few socially distanced 
outdoors for a walk, masked updates before you had sex the first time, you would have rejected him before it got to sex. But it got to sex and now you know he's not someone you want to have sex with that time, really, or ever again. Hey, Dan, I'd like to ask a quick question about cock rings. I realize a ring around the shaft and what it does to blood flow to prolong a longer, harder erection. But what's the purpose of going down around the scrotum? What does that do physiologically? As a kind of sister question, what's the point with a ball stretcher? Seen some information about it online, but nothing really tells me beyond the aesthetics. Does that provide a more powerful orgasm? What's up with those? There are two reasons why you want the cock ring at the base of the shaft with the balls in front of it, the cock ring behind the balls. The root of the penis, those erectile tissues, they extend into the body a little bit to anchor it. And if you've ever felt around your perineum, felt around behind your balls when you have an erection, that is erect too. Your perineum is erect too. Your taint gets a little hard and swollen because there are erectile tissues down there. So the erectile tissues extend past the balls or behind the balls too. So having the cock ring go around the shaft and behind the balls, it's constricting the blood flow just a little bit. You don't want your dick to get gangrenous and fall off. You just want a cock ring that gently restricts blood flow so the blood doesn't flow back out of the penis as fast as it might otherwise. That's why some guys find a cock ring helps them sustain an erection. And the erection continues past and below and beneath the ball sack. The other reason why you want the cock ring behind the balls is because if you're going to do something with it, if you're going to fuck somebody with your dick, you don't want a cock ring on the shaft grinding into their vulva, hitting them in the sphincter, knocking their fucking teeth out. If you have a steel cock ring or a metal cock ring, you want the cock ring far enough back that it's not going to interfere with penetrative sex. Now, there are some cock ring sex toys, like one called the Gates of Hell, that have rings that go up the shaft of the penis. You can certainly wear cock rings further up the shaft for decorative purposes or for the sensation, just the feel. But it's not very functional if you're going to fuck somebody. It's not very functional to have a cock ring on the shaft of the penis, slamming into the vulva, slamming into the sphincters, knocking out the teeth. As for a ball stretcher, I think it's mostly aesthetic. However, many men find that as they get closer to orgasm, their testicles rise up. The cremaster muscles, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that or putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, the cremaster muscles pull the balls up. Sometimes guys have their balls retract fully into their body. And a ball stretcher prevents the cremaster muscles from doing that. Not just for the aesthetics of it necessarily, not just to keep the balls, you know, for guys whose balls disappear up back into their bodies when they're close to coming, not just to keep them out and visible, but also some guys enjoyed that sensation of the cremaster muscles pulling the balls and the balls not moving, not being able to rise up causes a little bit of erotic discomfort, a little bit of erotic pain for some guys. So that's why the cock rings behind your balls. And that's what a ball stretcher is for. You're welcome. All right, before we get to response calls, let's read your tweets. The Dirty Ground tweets, I haven't listened to the Savage Lovecast in a million years. I have missed 
at Fake Dan Savage so much. We've missed you too, Dirty Ground. It's so good to have you back. Anna Morales tweets, at Fake Dan Savage quoted me, quoting him in episode 741 of the Savage Lovecast. And gloomy 2021 is a little brighter, but now I find myself in a quoting loop. But anyway, people, please remember that those who are shitty to waiters will eventually be shitty to lovers too. Here I am quoting you, quoting me, quoting you, quoting me, Anna, because I don't think this point can be emphasized enough. Be decent to waiters. Don't date people who are indecent to waiters, particularly when there are waiters out there risking their lives in order to pay their rent and feed their families right now. And finally, Krista Lynch 12 tweets, thank you at Fake Dan Savage for your response to the asshole who called in expecting sex from his postpartum wife. Fuck that guy. No, actually, don't fuck that guy. Topple the patriarchy instead. All right, thanks to everyone who posted to your social media about the show this week. We appreciate it. And now your response calls. I'm a trans woman calling in response to the call up from a trans woman about her shitty male friend. I thought... Dan's advice was generally spot on of dropping the shitty male friends. But I think he missed one key point, which is you're going to hit a moment where you're going to need to make new friends. And I would highly recommend you make yourself some friends who are women. Having friends who are women has been great for me. Um, one, because so often having women to talk to made me realize that like what the experience I'm going through isn't unique. Like, you know, so many women constantly have to deal with sexism and things like that. And being able to connect and bond over that is really helpful. Uh, especially for me, I thought the hard part of transitioning was going to have to be being trans in public, but that's been easy. The hard part's been all the sexism and that women have to deal with that I now have to deal with too. And then also you actually bring something unique and valuable, you know, by having been a man, some sexism will outrage you. And that outrage might inspire women who have kind of been beaten down and just assume this is how it's always going to be. Like the fact that you've been a man before can be an asset at times. So yes, please make some uh, women friends. Highly recommend it. This is for the woman in episode 744 who wants to know how to state in her dating profile that she doesn't want to date broke-ass guys without looking like a gold digger. I think the words you're looking for are financially stable. Here's how I personally break it down. Generous means he's willing to give you money or gifts in exchange for your company. This is why your profile was suspended when you said you were looking for a generous guy. Financially secure means a guy who probably has an investment account or a nest egg might be open to being the primary breadwinner if the relationship goes the distance and will consistently pick up the tab when you two go out. Financially stable means he can pay his own bills and you'll generally split the tab and occasionally treat one another. You are financially stable yourself and stating this up front will help guys know you're not just looking for a meal ticket. Also, don't put the money stuff at the top of your list. You might try something like, I'm thoughtful, kind, funny, financially stable, and love dogs. I'm looking for a partner who can offer the same. Good luck. Hi, I was calling to respond to the gentleman from episode 744 who had the very condescending tone about uh, you using Terry's dick as an example if he had just given birth. Dan is right. It is a trauma that vaginas go through and you have to be just a little bit patient about it. And if you want to use an example, imagine that somebody shot you in the dick and considering that men impregnate women, I guess it's reasonable to say that you did that, but you have to treat it like a wound. You wouldn't say I got shot in the dick and then have your partner be like, well, let me ride that thing. Let me ride that thing. You got to calm down, my dude. Like, that is a wound. If you shot your partner in the dick for three years and his dick wasn't working for three years, well, then I'm sorry. That's what it is. You're not going to be pulling at his bandages. 
calm down. We went to a, my wife and I went to a midwifery and we, they did everything right. But our son was so fucking big that she had to get stitches in her vagina. I just dealt with it. You deal with it, dude. If she felt like giving me a hand job, yay for her. If she didn't, well, she's exhausted because she's breastfeeding a newborn. Jerk off, dude. Calm down. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for me or a comment about this week's show? There are two ways to get them to us. You can call us at 206-302-2064, or you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. If you haven't yet bought your tickets for my Dirty Little Porn Film Festival hump, you can do it now. This may be the best hump lineup ever. So head to humpfilmfest.com and choose the screening that works for you. We've got a variety of showtimes and some really fun Zoom viewing parties so you can watch together with other hump fans. And Nancy and I will be doing another Savage Lovecast live stream on Saturday, March 13th. Send us your burning questions and I will answer as many as I can during this live Zoom event. Email questions ahead of time to livestream at savagelovecast.com and grab your tickets at savagelovecast.com slash events. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow London Hughes on Twitter at TheLondonHughes. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.